All right, good evening, Liberty. Glad to see all of y'all. Thank you all for joining us. Hey to everybody. Good evening to all of you. Thank you so much. I don't know about you, but it's raining here at the church. I'm sitting inside the worship center. You can hear it drizzling on the roof, and I hope you can't hear it. If you hear something sounds like bacon frying, that's just the rain. I wish somebody was here cooking me bacon. If I could arrange that to happen for you all to come over here and cook bacon for me after I get done teaching, I probably would be really motivated to teach. And uh, so, no, I'm feeling good tonight. Um, hope that you are. Hope that you're doing well. I hope that the Lord has uh, been good to you. I shouldn't say it that way. I know he's been good to you. I hope you realize how good he's been to you, how faithful he is, that your heart is filled with praise and thanksgiving tonight. And if it's not, then we need to correct that, figure out what the reasons are, change your perspective. Allow God to minister to our hearts. Yes, thank you, Michelle Heidenreich. Bacon, yeah. And then now it's on my mind. I'm going to have to go take care of that. Problem is, Anna's not a big fan of bacon, so she rarely ever makes it for me. And um, and I like it kind of crispy, and she's more of a, a, a the chewy kind of bacon. And it, mm, So I don't know, but that's one of those things I'd gladly give up to have Anna. So that's just the way it is. If I want bacon, I usually eat it somewhere else. But uh, she cooks it with me. Uh, Coast for me for a little little while. So glad, Miss Michelle, you got an amazing new job. That's super good news. Glad God's been good to you. If there's a praise you can put on there, do it. Uh, we all need encouragement. See how God's working. And um, I see Miss Judy all the way from Pauly's Island. Glad she's down there. I hope hope uh, hope it's not raining there because it's raining here. Mindy, she's not really southern. She's raised in Charlotte by families from her family's from up north. It took me a long time to get her to break out of that northern cooking frame of mind and get into southern cooking and uh but i'm working on her and uh so she likes it she cooks it for me every now and then but but just hearing it on the roof and y'all talking about it, now i smell it and uh, i'm gonna have to correct those things but anyway thanks so much for watching i'm glad you're here uh remember that uh we have service on sunday be praying about that this is my last sunday preaching on hashtag the love of god I'm gonna finally get lazarus out of the tomb martha had to wait four days you and i've waited four weeks to get him out of there and uh so Remember that. Be praying for us. Service times at 9 and 11. Don't forget that you can uh, watch this, of course, live on Wednesday nights. You can watch it anytime live. Um, it's also available on Wednesday nights and Sunday Rooted are available as a podcast. And you can go to Rooted with Dusty um, at uh, Apple, Anchor, any of the major podcast places. And you can listen to the audio from my Sunday school class and Rooted in 1 Corinthians. We're talking about spiritual gifts in there, and you can listen to this audio later on as well. And uh, that's all available to you. You can check those things out. And um, also, um, hope to have some books out soon. Been talking to a publisher about some things. Hope to have a few books. And the only reason I mention that is because so many of you have asked me about it. And um, uh, in fact, I have a book on John coming out, and a lot of the stuff I'm preaching on, hashtag the love of God, is in that book in chapter 11. Uh, as we go through each chapter in John. So you can be looking for those. They'll be available. A signed copy will be $29.95. Um, I'm just teasing. <laughs> it won't be that much at all, and uh, I'll be glad to sign it for you for free if you're interested in that at all. But uh, some of those will be available for you, hopefully coming up this fall, working on some things here at the church. And uh, hopefully Miss Lynn's book will be available in our new bookstore that we're working on. That's going to be in our big foyer area, our thousand square foot foyer. If you haven't seen that, you ought to come see, come to church just for that. Skip the preaching, come see the floor. Uh, but uh, God is definitely doing some things at Liberty and we are super excited about it. Pastor Matt will soon be back. July is almost over and he will be back and everything will be right in the world again. And uh, but God's been good to us while he's been gone. So let's get into the book of Judges. We've got a lot of things I want to cover. i got this Wednesday night, 
And then I will be teaching next Wednesday night because Pastor Matt needs a vacation from his vacation. He needs a week to recover. No, I'm kidding a little bit. I asked for this extra Wednesday night so I could have five weeks to cover Judges. And uh, so we are going to be looking at that next week as well. We'll kind of be wrapping it up. And of course, you know that in four or five weeks, there's no way we can really cover the in-depth parts of a book. But um, we will kind of cover it a little bit. Mindy, I hope that my vacation is moving into a house. That's what I want my vacation to be. And God has given us some good news on that front. Looks like we'll be closing here in a couple weeks. And uh, so I am looking forward to that. I love the camper. So thankful to John Pope for letting me borrow his camper. Uh, I'm so grateful for it, but I'm ready to get out of that thing and get into a house and uh, not to have Porter under feet and not to be stepping on Matchbucks cars and little minions and dinosaurs every time I have to go to the bathroom and uh, me and Anna dancing in the hallway just trying to get past each other. And uh, so uh, it has helped us love each other a little bit more and uh, almost kill each other the first week, but after that it got better. And so we're looking forward to some of those things. And hey, if it all falls through tomorrow, God's still good. He's still on the throne. We're still encouraged and um, praying for those of you who I know are going through difficult things. And uh, God is, is such a good God. We serve a mighty God. And I hope the book of Judges helps you see that. Last time we were together, we were working our way through the six declensions. And by declensions, I will remind you that there's a cycle that takes place in the book of Judges. God blesses his people. They live in prosperity and their hearts begin to wander. They rebel against God. God brings chastisement. They repent. God sends a judge. Things get better. Prosperity. They drift from God. God sends chastisement. They get right with God. You see the cycle all the time. And so there are six major declensions or times when the people moved away from God and God sent a judge. Now there's more than six judges. There's 12 judges um, that are mentioned, but these six are kind of the main ones. And last time we were together, we had gotten through Gideon, and we spent most of our time dealing with Gideon. We've already talked about Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Gideon, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Jephthah tonight. And uh, so grab your Bible and look with me. I won't be referring necessarily to a lot of verses because that's hard to do in this format, but uh, we will be talking about some things. And the life of Jephthah is an unusual life. He was a if your kids are listening, you just have to explain this term. It's a Bible term. I can't get around it. He was a bastard. And, uh, you know, nowadays, that means absolutely nothing in our world. But in the Jewish world, it meant a whole lot. He was outcast socially. He couldn't be part of the temple worship and some other things. And God used him to fight against the Amorites and the Philistines. And his distinctive contribution to Israel and his leadership was that God used him to unite Israel in a negative sense. In other words, there had been some civil unrest in Israel, and God used him to clear out some of that unrest and bring them back together in a unifying fashion. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of where the, the Ephraimites were trying to cross the river, and um, they... Gideon, I'm not Gideon's men, Jephthah's men guarded the ford, and the password was Shibboleth. That's what you had to be able to say to cross the river. Well, the Ephraimites had a, a little bit of a speech impediment, and they couldn't say the SH. They said Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth. And when they did that, 42,000 of them were captured and caught at the river 
because they couldn't pronounce that word. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting story. But the point I want to bring out is this, is that God used Jephthah to unify Israel by getting rid of some of the individuals that were creating the civil unrest. Sometimes God brings unity by the removal of divisiveness in his people. Can I just be real plain? I figure that if you're watching this tonight, it's because you haven't left liberty. So I'm probably not talking about you. But just remember that sometimes I make illustrations, and I have worked at other churches as well. I worked at a church in Kingsport, Tennessee, Shelby, North Carolina, Moyot, North Carolina, and Columbia, South Carolina. I've worked at all those churches. And uh, so I might not be talking about you, maybe. But I have noticed sometimes that there are times when people come to me and they say, Bro, Dusty, we're leaving. And it broke my heart. I don't want to see anybody leave. But I have to be honest. There are some times when they say, Brother Dusty, we're leaving. And I said, oh, no. But inside I was going, oh, yes. I'm so glad you're leaving. Honestly, because that person was divisive and was creating disunity in the church. And sometimes God helps his church by removing people out of it. And so while nobody, I don't like to see anybody leave in one sense. In another sense, there are times when God says, hey. I'll move this person out of here. They got to go. And the reason why they got to go is because they're hindering the progress. And so it's not always a bad thing when people walk out the door. And at Liberty, as any church grows, especially as the church gets bigger, there will always be people leaving and there will always be people coming. They just will. It's just the nature of it. But I mean, just remember that sometimes God has a goal in mind and getting us to that goal requires the removal of some people and he did it in the life, life of Jephthah. Now, when fellow Christians oppose you, it's difficult for pastors. It's difficult for you too. Uh, but when people come to you and tell you that they don't believe that what you're doing is right, that you're not following the Lord, that this thing isn't right, it's hard for us because honestly, I'm not infallible. Me and Pastor Matt don't always know we're right. Now, we will tell you we're right, of course. We're arrogant white males. I mean, that's just part of our nature. We'll tell you, yes, we are right. But deep down, we don't always know we're right. And if you could know and see behind the scenes of the soul searching that goes on over some decisions that are made, and then when people react and push back against it, it's a struggle. There are times Matt and I have just basically just almost, almost, cried together over certain situations and things going on go home with an upset stomach just worried about people and their response to certain things and hey sometimes god moves people out of the way because he wants to do certain things in his church and we have to see it as god working not necessarily a bad thing it's not always a bad thing and uh i guess though the most difficult thing for me is if you leave because you have a doctrinal disagreement with liberty, more power to you. More power to you. I don't have any problem with that because I, Miss um, Amelia, I'm, I'm just kind of talking. I'm not in a particular verse yet. I'm talking about the story of Jephthah. Um, and you can find the story. I should have wrote that down. We're fixing to go to chapter 13. Go there. We're talking about Samson in just a second. But if you leave over a doctrinal issue because you disagree scripturally, I give you that, all right? Because we're not right on everything, all right? We try to be. We believe we are. But you can have disagreements, all right? We can. But when people leave over preferences, that just tears my heart up. Because let me tell you something. If I have found a church where I love the teaching and preaching, 
where God is feeding me and he's blessing me and my kids are getting involved and I'm being used of God. I'm not leaving because of a preference over when the lights are on or when the lights are off, when the music or what kind of songs are played. All of that stuff is just preference, whether the room is too cold or too hot or where I don't like what you did here. I don't like the color of this paint. I don't like that. That's all irrelevant to me. I'm getting fed by the word of God. I have found a table that cooks good food and I'm going to eat there. I don't care what kind of artwork they put on the wall of the restaurant. I just want to eat. And it breaks my heart as a pastor sometimes when people leave over the stupidest, the stupidest of reasons. All right, they do. And remember, I'm not just talking about you. I've been to a whole lot of churches and people left over dumb things. Uh, good churches that preach the gospel and are concerned about your family are not on every street corner anymore. It's difficult to find a place. And if you get a place where your family gets plugged in, do not let the devil use something as stupid, as stupid. As whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, whether the lights are on during the singing or the lights are off during the singing, whether the pastor wears a tie or he doesn't wear a tie, don't let dumb things like that keep you from getting fed. That's what I have to say about that, all right? I have to say, God put you at liberty. God brought you to liberty. Let God make you leave liberty for him to directly lead you and say, hey, it's time to go. And there have been people who come to me and say, Bo Dusty, got no problem. We just feel like God is going leading us somewhere else. Praise the Lord. That happens. That happens. But don't let the devil get you out for some dumb reason. No, sir. No, sir. There are things that I disagree with at Liberty. Me and Matt argue about stuff all the time. All the time. It's not necessarily my cup of tea. So what? This is where God's called me to serve. And if he lets me, I'm going to serve right here till the day I die. And if he moves me out of here and takes me somewhere else, well, I'll be sad about that. I really will because I ain't looking to go nowhere. I'm halfway dead anyway. Look at my gray hair. 50 years old. I'm. Hey, we're getting close. All right? So... Give me another 20 years, give it to me right here at Liberty. That's where I want to serve because this is where God's using me. This is where I've been fed, and I'm going to serve and do what I'm supposed to do even if I disagree because certain things aren't my preference. So set all that preference aside. One of the best things I can learn is it's not about you. It's not about you and what you just like. Sometimes it's about what God wants to do. Get in, plug in, help things roll on. Stop sitting back disgruntled about dumb things, all right? So... If I offended you in that, I apologize. It's not my intent to defend, offend you, all right? Because if you're sitting there going, well, I don't like the lights being off, or I wish Pastor Matt would wear a tie, or I don't like the blue lights, or I don't want that, I don't like that song. I, I'm sorry. I wasn't shooting at any of you, because I'm not necessarily just your name in my mind, but I'm just giving you examples of things that I've dealt with at Liberty and other churches as well. And there's foolish things that people uh, leave over it. Just be careful. Jephthah proves to us that sometimes God takes people out of the way so the church can roll forward. And uh, Miss Michelle, I understand. Sometimes she said, this is the only church that's been able to reach me. Hey, God put us here to do exactly that. That is what matters, reaching people and helping other people. And if my preferences have to get stepped on for other people to be reached, step on them. Step on them. I ain't nobody. We're just supposed to be servants. And sometimes we forget about those things. All right. The sixth declension. Judges 13 through 16. This is the story of Samson. He is the uh, kind of the final major judge in the book, 13 through 16. 17 through 21, remember, is that appendage that's added. And we're going to discuss that later. Samson is an enigma. He just really is. I, I, I just... I'm just going to tell you there are three men in the Bible that Bible scholars argue about whether or not they were really saved. And I, and I use that in an Old Testament sense. I, I get all of that. But was is Samson in heaven? 
That's the question. The other two also start with an S. King Saul, is Saul in heaven? And is Solomon in heaven? So Bible scholars argue about those things because there's lots of things in your life that seem to indicate that mm, there were some major problems. But Samson's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, so I don't think anybody can be mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and not be in heaven. Solomon compiled and wrote three books in the Bible. And if he's not in heaven, he's the only lost man who has three books in the Bible. King Saul, I don't know about. That's not this. We're talking judges. We're not in 1 Samuel. So maybe when we get there, we'll talk about it. But, but let's talk about Samson and his war against the Philistines. And remember, the Philistines were the coastal tribes, the coastal people in Israel. And that was supposed to be Judah's land and area. And the children of Israel fought the Philistines all the way through a long time. Do you remember? Go all the way to King David, which is, you know, some hundred years after this. Who is King David fighting against when he's just a boy? He's battling Goliath the Philistine. Absolutely. And we're going to touch on that in just a little bit. But Samson was known because of his impressive strength. So that allows us to understand that when people marveled at Samson's strength, was that he was not impressive physically he was not otherwise they it's no big deal that a big muscle mound got bound guy he didn't look like the rock breaking things because there, nobody would have marveled at his strength they marveled at his strength because he looked like an average guy his power was not natural it was supernatural and i told you before he was just an average guy five foot five 155 pounds that's exactly what he was anyway samson is god's picture for the strength that is available to the weakest Christian. What can God do with one man who's separated unto him? Samson is that picture. And Samson's life is a great object lesson for all of us. Now, you know about Samson's life. You know how he went down to the harlots and how Delilah cut his hair and he lost his eyes and he died with the Philistines. We're going to discuss all of that, but you know all about that. And I'm saying that because Samson is a picture of the whole book of Judges. The up and the down. The up and the down. The inconsistency and then a little bit of improvement. And then the inconsistency, inconsistency and a little bit of improvement back and forth. That's what Samson's life was. He's a picture of the whole book of Judges. But he's also a picture to the Philistines about what God can do with a man. Because the Philistines were known for their giants. Of course, Goliath is the most well-known giant, but there are lots of giants in the Bible, and many of them is, or, were, were Philistines. And uh, Goliath, of course, you know what the word Goliath means? It means cons conspicuous. That's what his name means. Would it be conspicuous if you saw him in the store? Because he is estimated to be nine feet, nine inches tall. Absolutely. Hey, if I see a guy who's 6'8", he's conspicuous. But to be 9'9", nine, nine, and Bible scholars say that his chest is 60 inches across. Six inches. That's, his chest is me, <laughs> me tall minus 5 inches. All right? That's how wide he is. And then his feet were 24 inches. Each foot was 2 feet. Get that joke. All right? That's what he is. That's how I remember. But, so all of these Philistine giants could never defeat the children of Israel. But God took this normal-looking guy like Samson and used him to do a great thing and to illustrate what can be done by God's power. Absolutely. Because God's not looking for the strong. He's not looking for the mighty. He's not looking for the good-looking or the intelligent. He's looking for the available and those who will separate 
themselves unto him. That's what he's looking for. Absolutely. And so you can qualify. You can qualify. You don't have to have natural gifts. You just have to have a willingness to be used of God. And Samson illustrates to us that separation unto God means strength. Because when he was separated unto God, he had power. And when he wasn't, he lost his power. And Numbers chapter 6 is the, uh, the kind of summary chapter about the Nazarite vow. Now, don't get confused, all right? People say Jesus was a Nazarite. He was not. He was a Nazarene, all right? Nazarene means he came from Nazareth. That's just a, a geographical thing. And Nazarite is one who took a special vow to be separated unto God. And he wasn't supposed to drink anything from the vine, grape juice or alcohol. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. There are some other things. He wasn't supposed to touch a dead body. He certainly wasn't supposed to be hiring prostitutes. So these are the things that Samson was supposed to do. And he was consecrated unto God. But when he broke that consecration, allowed his hair to be cut and publicly broke his vow, he lost his power with God. But when the consecration grew back, his hair grew back, he got a revival of strength. And it illustrates for us that God desires to give power to those who are willing to take the steps to separate themselves unto him. Can I just give you a few examples? What can God's power do for the separated man? Well, the first thing that it can do is that it can give you power to break the things that bind you. The Bible says they bound Samson with new ropes and he broke them like it was nothing. Let me tell you something. Are there things that bind you in your life? Absolutely. If you'll separate yourself unto God, he can give you the power to break those things. God can give us the power to have the victory over the strongholds of the enemy. Chapter 16, verse 3, the Bible says that Samson was in the city and the Philistines thought they had him locked in for the night. And he took the gates of the city, picked up the bar and the gates, and he carried it up to the top of a hill. Now, that is impressive until you look at the geographical location of the hill in relationship to the city. It was almost 20 miles that Samson carried the gates of the city and he set them down on top of the hill and he sat there, took them right out of the stronghold of the Philistines. And God gives the separated man the ability to take the gates right from the strongholds of Satan and jerk them up and carry them away in a victorious fashion. Whether it's a missionary or a preacher, God allows us to do certain things as we are separated unto him. Now, let me just ask you this question. How do we account for the fact that although Samson broke the spirit of his vow many times, he did not lose his power until his hair was cut? Now, you know that the Bible tells us that he went into some harlots. Uh, he chased Philistine women. There's a whole lot of Philistine women still around today. And that he killed a lion and he touched the lion afterwards and got honey out of the carcass, which was a violation. Lots of things like that he did like that, but he never lost his power until he cut his hair. And believe that the reason why he didn't lose it initially was because God was being gracious to him, but when he cut his hair, it was a public sign that the separation had been broken and everybody could see it. See, when he went down and visited the harlot, that was kind of secretive. I guess the people around there might have known it, but it wasn't known throughout Israel. 
But when it became a public thing and he lay down in the lap of Delilah and they cut his hair, that is when it became a public thing and that is when he lost his strength. But he didn't just lose his strength. What else did he lose? The Bible says they bound him. He lost his liberty. Yeah, he lost his freedom. Then the Bible says that he lost his dignity. They made him grind is what the Bible says. Now, I have to be careful here. Because there's varying opinions about this, all right? So there's three opinions about what it means when Samson, the Bible says that they made him grind. The first is that he pushed the big, huge wheel that animals normally push to grind the corn. But that's probably not true. Because if Samson was strong enough to push those, the Philistines would have done something about that strength. But remember, Samson was a normal guy. Otherwise... He would not have had the ability to push something that they used a mule or an ox or a donkey to push or to pull. He couldn't have done it. He wasn't strong enough. Most people believe that when it says that he had to grind, it meant that he did the women's work of grinding the corn by hand. It was a smaller stone that he was grinding, and it was humiliating because it was women's work. There is also, though, the position that it says they made him grind in the prison that over your kids ears here just for a second that the heathen cultures believed that the strength and military proudness of a man was passed along through relationships sexual relationships and they forced samson to prostitute himself to women so that his military power and might could be passed on to other men i'm not sure about all that the bible just says they made him grind the latter of course, would probably be uh, more appealing to Samson considering his life than grinding the corn. But you can get down deep and study all of that for yourself and look it up if you want to. But either way, he was forced to do something that was degrading to him. And then the Bible says that he lost his eyes. He lost his, eyes. He lost his ability to see. They put out his eyes. Now, if you allow me just to spiritualize the text here just for a little bit, what does playing with sin do to all of us as Christians? Well, it robs us of our strength spiritually. It takes away our freedom. It robs us of our dignity. And it causes us not to be able to see spiritual things. And we make bad judgments because of our blindness. Absolutely. As I was growing up, I always heard preachers preach that sin will, sin will bind you. Sin will grind you. Sin will blind you as they preach those things. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. And cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does to us. Now, Samson is an enigma in this sense. The Bible says, how be it, it's a wonderful phrase, how be it the hair of his head begin to grow again. I don't know how much they cut off, but he's there grinding blind in his hair. And you can imagine that he would check that on a regular basis. The Philistines didn't understand and they didn't pay that close attention to it, but it grew back enough. It got his heart right with God that when the Philistines were having a great banquet, he asked the young man who was guiding him to guide him to the two central pillars that held up the roof. And you can look at Philistine architecture, and you can see that they had two central pillars that held up the roof. And Samson prayed for God to give him one more opportunity to bless him with strength one more time. 
and help him to avenge his eyes. And he bowed into those poles and pulled the roof down on top of himself. And the Bible says he killed more in his death than he did in his life. And that's pretty significant when you consider that he killed a thousand of them at one time with a jawbone and he killed a thousand here. That's, that's a significant bunch of people. People say, oh, look, he committed suicide. No, no, he didn't commit suicide. He died as a national hero, and they came and got his body, and he slew more in his death than in his life. He died in victory, not the victory he could have understood and enjoyed, but victory nonetheless, because it, regardless of what we have gone through in our life, there's still victory that waits for us. None of us are in the position where all we have to experience is the consequences of our stupidity. God can still take things and still do things even now, as he told Martha and I preached on Sunday. Even now he can do these things for us. Absolutely. Because if that's not the case, then we're without hope whatsoever. And you may as well just go off and do whatever you want to do because your life is ruined. Not so. Our God is a God of hope. Our God is a God of, of, of purpose. And he has not changed his mind or his direction. He still wants to use us regardless of our stupidity. And he used Samson in such a way that Samson ended his life more victorious than he had when he lived his life. Now, I want to talk for a little bit about something. And I want you to Take your Bible and look at Isaiah 33, 22. I'll wait for you. I got it ahead of time because trying to find the verses while I'm live, my fingers don't work and I can't look at the Bible, so I looked it up, first of all. So I want to talk to you about these judges and how they are types of Christ, all right? And by types, I mean pictures or figures of Christ. A type is when God illustrates something in the Old Testament that he explains in greater detail in the New Testament. So the tabernacle, each various part of it is a type of Jesus Christ or a picture, a figure of Christ. And we learn things about Jesus from these types. And these Old Testament judges are types of Christ. Look in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. It says this, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Judge, lawgiver, king. All right? These three things about God, about Jesus Christ himself, are all wrapped up in the history of Israel. All right? Jesus is our lawgiver, covers the period of Moses. Jesus is our judge, covers the period of the judges. Jesus is our king, covers the period of the kings, David and Solomon and those flowing from them. All of those are pictures and types of Jesus Christ in certain ways. Now, allow me to just, just warn you a little bit, all right? When we talk about types, there is a primary way that the judges are a type of Christ, all right? And only in that primary way do the details of their lives have significance. Do not try to apply the details to a type if it's outside the primary understanding because no illustration walks on all fours, so to speak. There's always an incompleteness in the type. Don't stretch it. Don't strain it, all right? So judges, the judges, are types of Christ in the sense that Christ is our deliverer. As each one of these judges were the children of Israel's deliverer, and in that sense, they're a type of Christ. None of them were model types of Christ. None of them were moral types of Christ, all right? But all of them were types of Christ in the fact that they brought deliverance and the unique 
contribution that they made to the declensions, the unity, the fighting against Satan's strongholds, the deliverance, the, the use of, of weak things. All of those are pictures of Christ, our deliverer. And so you can say that Gideon is a type of Christ, our deliverer. Yeah, Othniel is a type of Christ, our deliverer. Ehud is a type of Christ, our deliverer. Deborah, a feminine character, is a type of Christ, our deliverer. Absolutely. Yep. Samson is a type of Christ, our deliverer. Absolutely. And you can see these things and understand them, that Christ is our deliverer. Now, of course, he is our deliverer in the future sense, that Jesus Christ is going to deliver God's people from the oppressor. Who is the oppressor? Second Thessalonians talks about the final man of sin. What's the other name we use for that? The Antichrist. Exactly right. The Antichrist. Who is going to deliver us from the oppression of the Antichrist? Oh, our mighty deliverer, Jesus Christ. That who he is. Jesus Christ, our mighty Samson. Jesus Christ, our mighty Gideon. Jesus Christ, our mighty Deborah. Jesus Christ, our mighty Jephthah. Jesus Christ, our mighty Ehud. Jesus Christ, our mighty Othniel. Jesus Christ, our mighty Shamgar. He's the one who delivers these things. He is our deliverer in the future. But he's also not just our deliverer in the future. He is our present deliverer of God's people. He wants to be the mighty deliverer in your life. And just like Samson broke the strongholds of Satan, Jesus wants to break the strongholds in your life. Just like Samson broke the things that bound him, Jesus wants to deliver you from the things that bind you. Just like Deborah united the people in a positive sense and led them forward to great victory, Jesus wants to unite us and lead us forward to great victory. Absolutely. And whatever contribution we discussed about each one of those judges, Jesus wants to do that in your life as your mighty deliverer as well. Here's a great illustration of it, and I love this part. <laughs> Judges chapter 14, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says that a lion roared against Samson. Let me just use the words for you. 14, 5 and 6. I got to look it up for you. I know the words in my head, but I want to read for you in detail. See, I can't find the page right now. Here it is. 14, 5 and 6. It says, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnath, and he came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father and mother what he had done. He rent him as he would a kid. Now, please let me explain these words, all right? First of all, kid is not a child, all right? It is a baby goat, okay? Please understand what that English word means, all right? He rent him as he rent a kid. And rent means to tear, not go out and lease something for a little while, all right? The Bible says the young lion came against him. Samson grabbed him, rent him like a baby goat, slung him down on the ground, and kept right on walking, the Bible says, and he didn't even tell anybody. Yeah, it's an incredible story. Jesus wants to be your mighty deliverer like Samson. And there is another lion who roars against us. He walketh about seeking who he may devour. He's a roaring lion, whatever. Jesus can rent Satan like he would a kid. I mean, just catch him up, rip him in half, and throw him down. That's the kind of deliverer we have. He is our mighty God. And when he died on the cross, 
He rent Satan as he did a kid. Satan thought he would roar against him, but Jesus died on the cross, paid our sin debt, led captivity captive, snatched the keys of death, hell, and the grave, took those away from him, and walked out victoriously in three days, slung that lion to the ground like he was nothing. And if he did it once, guess what? He's going to do it again. And the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But he ain't the only lion. There's another lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus, as our mighty Samson, can rent him, tear him like he would a baby goat and just sling him on the ground. We are no match for the devil. But our mighty deliverer, Samson, Jesus Christ, as our Samson, can catch the devil by his throat and wring his neck anytime he wants him to. Run to your mighty deliverer. You can't take on the lion. You can't beat him. Oh, but your deliverer can. Jesus Christ can. He can do that for you. He can transform you in a moment. And he can do whatever's attacking your life. Jesus can rent him as a kid. He can do these things, all right? And then the Bible tells us that later Samson came back and he stuck his hand down in the lion, and he got honey out, and he took it to his family. I just think back over those times where I seem to be in real spiritual conflict. And the times where I was overwhelmed, and it seemed like God just reached down and snatched Satan and just broke him in my life and threw him to the side. And later I go back and I find honey, sweetness in that experience that I can share with other people. Spurgeon said, the whole of the Christian life ought to be lion killing and honey distributing. That's what we ought to be doing, all right? Because our foe is a defeated foe. He is defeated. And we can take the sweetness of that defeat and share it with the rest of the world because they do not understand how mighty our deliverer is. The God we serve is an incredible God. Now, we have been roughly, quickly through 16 chapters of Judges talking about these six major judges and the six major declensions. I just want to touch on something before I have to close to kind of set the table for what we're going to be talking about next time a little bit. And so if you look at chapter 17 through 21, there are some difficult stories in 17 through 21. I mean, just difficult, right? The first one starts out in chapter 17 about a man named Micah who steals his mama's stuff and she gets it back and he makes it a god and he hires his own private priest and he has an ephod and a teraphim and he uses these things to worship God in his own way and he hires this Levite to be part of his personal priesthood, just showing the twistedness of the man-made religion that Micah came up with, illustrating all of the idolatry, and they worship these little gods, and somebody came in and stole Micah's gods from him. If, if somebody can steal your god, he's not much of a god. But anyway, Micah lost his gods, and that story is told in chapter 17. And then we come to chapter 19, and we find out this man's traveling with his concubine, and he stops at this house. And you know, a concubine is just a woman he keeps for his pleasure. She didn't even have the stature of a wife. And uh, he stops at this town, and he spends a night at somebody's house, and the men of the town come around and beat on the door like they did in Sodom and Gomorrah, saying, send that man out. This, yeah, this is in Israel. Yeah, yeah beats on the door and he says no i'm not going to do that here you can take my concubine he throws her out there he goes to bed 
The Bible says he gets up in the next morning, he walks in there. She's been abused all night. She crawls up on the porch and she dies. And he comes walking out the door and he says, get up. we got to be going. That's a real man right there. Then you realize she's dead. He chops her up in 12 pieces and sends a piece to each part of the tribes of Israel. And it creates a big civil war against Benjamin, the city, the, the tribe in which that city was a part of. And Benjamin had these left-handed slingshot guys that says could not miss within a hair's breadth. And they go out for civil war and they begin to fight against Benjamin because Benjamin will not turn over these individuals to the nation of Israel. And the first day, the nations of Israel lose to Benjamin. The second day, they lose to Benjamin. And they begin to say, God, what's going on? And the Bible tells us that God gives them a great victory, and they begin to pursue Benjamin, and they kill so many Benjaminites, there's only 600 men in the tribe left. Only 600. It's a, it's a graphic story. And then these 600 men are like, we're all 600 men living up here in the woods, and we ain't got no women. We don't have any women. How are we going to propagate our race? How are we going to keep things going? And so somebody told them, well, there's a festival down the road. And in the vineyards, the girls come out and they dance in there. And why don't you just run down there and hide in the vineyard? And when a girl starts dancing, you just jump out and snatch you one. And that's what they did. That's what they did. And uh, kept the tribe of Benjamin alive. Now, let me tell you something. That sordid story is worse than any soap opera or anything, and it's right in the Bible. And it's tacked on in chapter 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Those stories are. And we would think that this is the end of the book, and it just got so bad at the end. But that is not the case. 17 through 21 is an appendage that was added to the book to illustrate how things were going on a normal basis in the book of Judges. And there's several illustrations of the time element because in Judges 18.30, it tells us that Joseph, you know, Joseph, the one in Egypt, that Joseph, his grandson and great-grandson were implicated in the idolatry. And chapter 20, verse 28 tells us that Aaron, Moses and Aaron, their grandson was alive at the time. And so the only way for that to be possible is for the events of chapter 17 through 21 to take place at the beginning of the book of Judges, in the early days. And they're indicative of all the things going on throughout that time. And so next time we come together, we're going to talk about the fact that Satan always targets these essential tribes of Israel. Who was the tribe to which Jesus was to come? Judah. Yeah, Judah implicated in the idolatry and in the immorality, right? Benjamin almost wiped out. What would have happened if Benjamin had been wiped out? Well, the greatest Christian that ever lived, not talking about Jesus, but a human, is the Apostle Paul. And guess what tribe he was from? Benjamin. Exactly right. Benjamin. We'd have lost the Apostle Paul had Benjamin been wiped out. And then the third tribe that was involved in things was the tribe of Levi, the high priestly tribe, the full-time Christian worker type of tribe. These three tribes were essential and they were part of the conservative southern kingdom of Judah. Judah, Benjamin, and Levi made up the southern kingdom that God used and, and David ruled over and all these things and Jesus eventually came through. But we'll talk about all the next time we're together how Satan attacks those three things and he desires to do those things and read over those three chapters, all right? Don't read it out loud. 
to your kids unless you're willing to answer a whole lot of weird questions. Uh, but read it sometime and understand what's going on. And get this, that the theme of our five-week study in the book of Judges is defeat swallowed up in victory. That God overcomes deeply entrenched evil, and you can't find much more deeply entrenched evil than abusing a woman all night, chopping her up into 12 pieces, sending her out to the tribes, and starting a civil war over it. That's deeply entrenched evil, and God brought the beauty of Ruth and the victory of David and Solomon out of all of that mess. That's the kind of God we serve. And he can bring it out of your life as well. He can do these things. He is our mighty deliverer. And so ask him to exercise the delivery of Gideon in your life. Ask him to exercise the delivery of Deborah in your life. Exercise, ask, G, ask God to, to, to allow Jesus Christ to be your mighty Jephthah in your life. That mighty deliverer. Ask God to be your Ehud, your Othniel. Ask God even to be the deliverer, Samson, in your life. Jesus Christ can bring the deliverance to us just like through these judges. Yep, imperfect people that God wants to use for his honor and glory. And I don't know about you, but that gives me some hope because I find a lot I can relate to with Samson, not the strength part, obviously. I find a lot I can relate to to some of these other guys. And I find that God is looking for people to just be willing and separated unto him. And he can do great things. He can do great things. Hope that encourages you. Next time we're together, we'll finish up Judges. Talk about this last little section. Excited about that. And uh, remember, though, that if this has blessed you in any way, do the best thing that you can do. First of all, let me know that it helped you. All right? I need encouragement just like you. And it helps me know people are watching. All right? Second thing you can do, click share. Easiest way. If it helps you, it helps somebody else. And as it gets around, people can benefit from the Word of God. Not that I'm a great teacher, but the Word of God is a powerful thing. And if it's the truth, it's the truth. Let other people know about the truth, all right? And if I offend you tonight, I love you, and I'm sorry. And great peace of day which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So let you know, I love you. I love you. Let's both be right with God. Get busy serving Him. We don't have time to be petty about dumb things. We need to get busy. The kingdom of God is approaching. The end is certainly close. We got a job to do. Our deliverer is for us. We're on the winning side, and we need to accomplish what he left us for. Get busy doing your father's business in the world in which he placed you. All right? Look forward, look forward, look forward to seeing you on Sunday at 9 and 11. If you can come, remember, it is not mandatory that you wear a mask. We do recommend it. If you want one, our greeters, our, our golf cart drivers, our nursery workers, Psalm 139 class, they will be wearing masks because of that close contact they're having with, with children and people and babies kid, uh, and LC kids and those kind of things. But in the auditorium, you certainly do not have to wear a mask. Practice good social distancing. But either way, come and worship with us. Be part of what God is doing at Liberty Church. I am excited and pumped to be part of this. Listen, I've worked at some dead churches. I've been around places where God doesn't seem to be doing anything, all right, because people wouldn't let him. But you're good people. God has allowed you to allow Pastor Matt to lead us. And we're going places. And uh, hop on for the ride. Let's have a good time and uh, hopefully step off this train onto Golden Streets together one day. Amen. See you soon. Good night.